G'day wherever you may be around the world and thank you for your company once again on truth2u.org. That's truth2u.org. I'm Jono and joining me all the way from Louisiana is my very good friend and co-host of the Tanakh Tour, Ross K. Nichols. G'day mate. Hey Jono, how are you man? Doing pretty well, thank you. Hey, listen, we 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 are usually doing uh, what do we do? We do gleanings from Genesis with Dr. James Tabor. Now, uh, that of course is the discussion on the Transparent English Bible, the TEB, uh, which James, of course, is the editor in chief. Uh, the Book of Genesis is now available at Amazon, both in paperback and Kindle. Uh, you can get. In fact, we'll put a link in this description. Uh, but today we're, we're taking a break from that this week because we're everyone's building their their sukkahs and so on and so forth. So we thought that uh, we'd just get together and do a quick recording on you know what's what's on our mind. How's that? I, I'm all for it, Jono. I love talking with you about the Bible, so I'm excited about this. I don't know if I've ever told you this. But I may have told you this before. Um, if not, here it goes. I'm pretty sure I've never told I've never told the people, I've never told the listeners this. Long time listeners will know. Uh, and I'm going back to 2011. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was 2011. Um, Torah with Keith Johnson and Chemi Gordon. Very, very popular series. And uh, it was just a, a series where we just went from uh, Torah portion to Torah portion each week and, and discussed it. And people loved it. It was just really popular. And I remember uh, we were in Vayelech, uh, chapter 31 of Deuteronomy. Uh, we mm-hmm. were discussing that chapter... And Nehemiah, I remember, and I'm, I, I'm going to paraphrase because I don't exactly remember what was said, but something was said by Nehemiah that made me stop and think with a little bit of alarm or, or maybe surprise. I just had never thought of it before, ever. And right. I bookmarked what he said and thought, you know, I should get back to that and I should look into that. But mm-hmm. for some reason, it took me a number of years and I, I think maybe I was a little alarmed at, uh, at having, and I'm not even sure why, but I'm going to read it to you. It was, um, we had come up to chapter 31 of Deuteronomy, and it was verse 24, and it said, So it was when Moses had completed writing the words of this law in a book, when they were finished, that Moses commanded the Levites who bore the Ark of the Covenant uh, of the Lord, saying, Take this book of the law and put it beside the Ark of the Covenant uh, of the Lord your God, that it may be there uh, as a witness against you, and, and so on and so forth. Now, when when we had read that, I I, I seem to recall Nehemiah, because it really it, it's just yeah. this thing that I, I just have never forgotten. And he said something to the effect of, so the question becomes, what was on that scroll? Yeah. And in my mind, in my mind, I went, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, I, because never... the obvious thought, your obvious thought is probably, what do you mean what's in that scroll? We know yeah. it's the Torah. It's the, <laughs> what, what do you mean what's on the, we don't know exactly what was on the, how can we not know exactly what was on that scroll? And I thought, and I thought to myself, I mean, at the time, I just sort of, you know, <laughs> let, let that sort of brush over because that, it just blew my mind. That question blew my mind. I'd never really thought about it. And it took me ages to consider it again. In fact, it, I guess it was a couple of years ago, you and I having a conversation yep. um, that gave me license to revisit that question. Uh, and now we're in 2020. So I guess this must have been 2018, maybe 2019. You, you might remember better than me. But you remember we were having a conversation about Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, and we were talking about it was about this time. Well, we were talking about this time of the year, Yom Teruah, uh, you know, Sukkot, and yep. and we were talking about when they read the Torah aloud to the people. Ezra read the Torah aloud to the people on Yom Teruah, the first day of right. the seventh month, and we were talking about how it is tradition, Jewish tradition, to to read through the Torah. And we were discussing uh, that in United Israel, you guys have a, a Hebrew reading team, right? Tell me about that for a minute. We, we, we do. We have a Hebrew reading team. And uh, Lim Chong Kiat is a brilliant Hebraist. He lives in Australia, by the way. He heads up our international team. And we have a team of readers who get together every year at Sukkot. And, and what they do is they participate online and by the way, our listeners can join this team and they can join in on this incredible thing that they're doing at Sukkot. Now, 
what they do is they divide the reading of the entire Torah as we have it from Genesis 1-1 through Deuteronomy 34-12 nonstop. It's called the round-the-clock Torah reading. Now, they get that, by the way, and then I'm going to throw it back to you, Jonah, because I want you to finish your story, but I just want people to know they can sign up uh, for this. We'll put the link if they want to join in on this and, and right. take a portion of the Torah. But in Deuteronomy 31, where we just were, it says in verse 10 and 11, it says at the end of every seven years, in the time of the year of release, in the feast of Sukkot, when all Israel has come to appear before uh, the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose, you shall read this Torah mm -hmm. before all Israel in their hearing. Gather the people together, men, women, children, your stranger that's within your gates, that they may hear and learn and fear the Lord your God and observe to do all the words of this Torah and that their children who have not known anything may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God as long as you live in the land, whether you go over the Jordan to possess it. So they take that very literally with one caveat. Rather than do it every seven years, they do it every year. Mm -hmm. And they read through the Torah. So you, I remember this conversation, Jono, you asked me because we were t discussing this passage in Nehemiah. Mm. Yeah. And, and we, you asked me, how long does it take to read the Torah? How long does it take you guys to read through the Torah? Because I imagine it must, it must take uh, a considerable amount of time. And I think you came back with a figure of around 30 hours. Does that sound about right? That That's about right. That's about right. 30 hours. And these are pretty good readers of Hebrew. It's not like they're exceptionally slow. Let's say that they're average. Uh, so 25 to 30 hours is what it would take. It's a significant undertaking and, uh, and, and they're very, very dedicated to do it. Um, and why did that this, get your attention? Well, that got my, my attention because immediately I thought, well, hang on a second. <laughs> you told me, I said to you, how long does that take? Oh, maybe around about 30 hours. And the, and the first thing that went through my mind was, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. And again, yeah. It, it brings me back to, to Deuteronomy 31. It, 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 and, and I said to you, well, hang on a second. We have a timeline for the reading of the Torah. We actually have yeah. a, the Bible. The, 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 the Tanakh tells us how long it took them to read. So here we find ourselves in Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, mm -hmm. where Ezra reads the, the Torah. On the first of the seventh month, on Yom Teruah, it says, Now all the people gathered together as one man in the open square that was in front of the water gate. And they told Ezra, Ezra the, the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, the scroll of the, of the Torah of Moses. Is that fair? That's fair. Okay. Which the Lord had commanded Israel. So Ezra, the priest, brought the law before, brought the Torah before the assembly of men and women and all who could hear and understand on the first day of the seventh month. Then he read from it in the open square. Okay, this is what it says, verse three. He read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning until midday before the men mm -hmm. and the women and those who could understand and the ears of the people were attentive so, uh, to, the, to the, the, the scroll of the Torah. From morning until midday, not only... That wouldn't, not even, only, that wouldn't even get you through, but about a fifth of it, right? That, that's right, because now this time of the year, we're pretty close um, to, the, uh, to the, the, the equinox, right? Mm -hmm. um, the, the time is, you know, the, the, the rising and setting of the sun is pretty even throughout. And uh, so we're talking maybe, I don't know, 6.30 in the morning till midday. So, so, so let's say 6 till, till, till 12. We're talking about a six-hour period, perhaps, if they'd gathered just before sunrise, right? Mm -hmm. um, let's be generous. Not only that, but we go on a little bit further into... Verse, let's go to nine, I think it is. No, 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 okay. it's eight. Um, so they read distinct, distinctly from the book of the law of God, it is now called, the scroll of the Torah mm -hmm. of God. And they gave the sense and helped them to understand. This is the Levites, by the way, that did this. Uh, the Levites right. helped the people to understand the law. So not only was it read, but there was a little bit of uh, explanation and commentary to go along with, just so that people understood what was being said. We've got about a six-hour period. That there's no way that you can square yep. thirty hours into six, even uh, at synagogue speed. And by synagogue, you know, a lot of people understand that in synagogues, um, you know, when you're reading through the Torah, they are machines, and they just get they rip through it uh, without yeah. time to spare. Ross, 
Yeah, I remember that conversation and what that conversation and many like it took place. If you recall, uh, we would discuss this several times a week and we would say, hey, what about this? What about that? It began to uh, open up certain understanding. And, and that's that led me in April of that of 2019, April 27th at a United Israel conference. I decided to pull together uh, a class and present it at our annual conference and sort of test out some of the findings that you and I had been discussing. And so I laid that out, and that is currently the same thing, much expanded, that I'm into now in my weekly series. But, but, but there are some questions that this generates. First of all, we get the impression when we read in uh, Nehemiah chapter 8 that they read what they had as the Torah, and it took them, like you said, six hours. Let's say six hours. Mm. Well, if you read Genesis 1, 1 through Deuteronomy 34, 12, that's going to take about 30 hours. So mm. what was it that they read? Now, if you go back, and, and this is the way I'll kind of kick things off, if you go back to this this section in, in Deuteronomy 31 that you just read that you said you were covering in Torah Pearls, and it says Moses finished writing the scroll unto the very end, and he gives it to the Levites. Mm-hmm. Now, there's a phrase in there. He, it says, and it came to pass when Moses had made an end of writing the words of this Torah in a scroll until they were finished. That's when he rolls it up. But our Torah still has three chapters left. Yeah. So so what do you do with that? Well, that opened up other questions. So I began to do a, stu- uh, a study, a search, uh, and you and I had conversations. Now, think about this. There are some other questions that come up. Look at Deuteronomy 34, Jono. In, in Deuteronomy 34... Um, and, and I won't read the whole chapter, but just let's look at, um, look at verse five. Mm -hmm. So Moses, the servant of the Lord died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley in the land of Moab over against Beit Peor. But no one knows of his grave unto this day. Mm -hmm. And he was 120 years old when he died. Now the question becomes, and this is Jono and Ross aren't the first one to ask this question. The question becomes, who wrote that? Mm. Now, according to traditionalists, the traditionalist view is that the Torah that we have, Genesis 1, 1 through Deuteronomy 34, 12, is written by Moses. They're called the five books of Moses. But but the, this raises a question. Did Moses write this about his own death and burial? Now, Ibn Ezra and other people, they had this same question. They said, you yeah, know, it's, it's probably not likely. Well, now we've got to look at the Torah a little bit differently and ask the question, where does it say, first of all, that Moses wrote Genesis 1-1 through Deuteronomy 34-12? Or is that, Jono, just tradition? What do you think? Well, that, that, is, that is the question. I mean, look, there are uh, people will be well aware of various um, efforts to explain questions like this. Uh, you just mentioned a couple of them. And we're not saying that you can't have those. You most certainly can. Um, what I will say for myself is that uh, there are many efforts to, um, to explain away some of these questions with which I am not satisfied with. And yeah. I kind of feel like I was thinking about this earlier today. Uh, that I kind of feel like a truth to you listener, <laughs> that <laughs> it's a funny thing, because as a fundamentalist, it makes you feel uncomfortable to think that there are explanations that you haven't heard that will challenge yeah. your uh, initial uh, stance on the matter. And that's how uh, I kind of feel. Because like, I say I feel like a truth to you listener, because I do this to the listeners all the time. Um, and that is to gather the information, paint them into a corner and make them feel uncomfortable so that they're kind of forced to make some decisions and to change the way that they think. Um, it, it, <laughs> I'm going to break from the conversation just for a second to talk about <laughs> the last time that you and I were in Israel. And uh, one night we spent, some, um, <laughs> we spent some time looking at some Monty Python videos, which were quite funny. Yeah. And uh, one of them was the one where, where John Cleese, like a bunch of them are sitting around 
uh, in Israel. I think this is from the life of Brian. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and, and one of them says, you know, that he, he wants to be a woman. And John Cleese's character oh, goes, yeah. what? <laughs> what? You can't be a woman. You, you don't have a womb. And, right. and so on and so forth. And a, lot, a lot of people will be familiar with this skit. If you haven't seen it, look it up, um, Monty Python. <laughs> and, uh, and you said to me, that's you. <laughs> that character is you. That's what you do. You just give people the brutal truth straight away, um, regardless yep. of how they feel. And it's a, it's a really funny thing because uh, I've always said to you, you're much more the diplomat. You're much more diplomatic than I am. Well, recently, um, I came across a, uh, a, you know, these personality tests and I thought, you know what? Because you piqued my interest because I thought to myself, you know, that is me. I am like that. That's a that's a yeah. you know, and when this personality test came along, I thought I'm going to do this, and um, uh, then you made I, me do it. Then I made you do it. I did this personality test. It turns out that I I'm an INTP, right, which is a logician, and um, and it is how I think, and that it, it is what I what I do. And I, I remember looking through and exploring uh, the results of this personality test, and I found it really uh, amusingly familiar and accurate. Uh, so much so that I thought oh, I've got to get Ross to do this. Is great fun. Um, but one of the one of the things I looked at Ross was uh, you know what what sort of career choices and jobs are um, uh, you know work well with someone like myself uh, who is somewhat unique apparently and um, and and ones that don't right you know uh, career choices that just don't work well one of the things that really amused me was one of the career choices that just don't work was uh, the, the the fields of religion. You don't want to yeah. be. You don't want to be a religious. But you don't want to be a, a minister. You don't want to be a preacher of any description. And the reason for that is because I'm one of those people that just tells people the way it is. I'm not going to try and, you know, finesse the the square peg into the round hole. I'm just going to say this doesn't belong here. That doesn't yeah. work. This is actually what it says. And if you don't like it, I, that's not that's not on me. Um, and that's what it is. Now I made you do it, right? <laughs> and you were. What what was your result? You were called the. I, I don't remember the the initials, but it basically said that I would make a good diplomat. Or you something. were the is diplomat. That... <laughs> this is which I well, thought you, this is great. But you bring up a great point, and the, and the reason it's it's nice that you're bringing this up is because both you as as well as I, you and I both love the Bible. We love the mm-hmm. Hebrew Bible. This is what we do. It's what we believe. It's what we seek to live our life according to. I mean, I grew up in a very fundamentalist home. It was Christianity, mm-hmm. but nonetheless, it was fundamentalist. And 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 my desire, everything from from the time I was very small, you know, it was the Bible is the holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative Word of God, as we said in the Baptist Church. And and that gave across the idea that this has a divine stamp of approval. Now, what I'm doing now does not challenge that. In fact, what I still do is I use the Bible as the source even of my questions. You, mm-hmm. you know, if you think about it, um, I, I've always sought to live my life according to the Bible and to base my understanding and my belief system on the words of the Bible itself. What it ultimately did was it had me revise my faith, or I should say I revised my faith, as I began to study things and find things that didn't quite line up with my former Christian faith, and it brought me to the Hebrew Bible alone, you know, as mm-hmm. the the document with in what I in in which I place my trust. So, so what you what you find when you get into the Hebrew Bible is a very similar fundamentalism, wouldn't you say? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely, there is, and and you know what, I had I had sort of tucked myself into bed there quite comfortably. Until I was forced to deal with these with these two uh, pieces of text that I just mentioned in De- Deuteronomy chapter um, thirty one, uh, Nehemiah chapter eight, and uh, and there was no two ways about it. You and I had discussed it; it was out there, and it, it wasn't going to go back in the box. And so I felt like a truth to you, listener, and I had to uh, deal with the, uh, the the facts as they were before us in the text. Now, fortunately for me. I didn't have me bludgeoning myself over the head with, <laughs> with, um, uh, with information. I had you, the diplomat, saying, "Hey, well, 
<laughs> how about, you know, have you considered this? And hey, look what I found here. And have you considered this? And you really got into um, the research far more than I did. And, yeah. uh, and you poured really so much of your life into this over the last couple of years. Now, um, this has culminated in a couple of series that you have presented on uh, YouTube from the, the um, United Israel YouTube channel. And we'll talk uh-huh. about those in just in just a second. But what those what these two series are is leading up to a, to the release of a book that you have written, which I cannot even tell the, the the listeners how incredibly excited I am about this book. Now, when it, we can't really go into the details of this book yet, um, we will once it's released. But I before I before I cut you loose again, I just want to say to the listeners, I really really do encourage you very very strongly. To listen to the the series that Ross has currently on uh, United Israel YouTube channel, uh, one is on the ten words, uh, the ten mm-hmm. commandments. The other one is on the scroll. That well, it's really on the Torah. So I'll let I'll let you explain those. But before we jump into that, was there anything else that you wanted to? Uh, was there another direction that you wanted to go here? What do you want to do? No, that that's fine. What we could do is we can get into a little bit about. Uh, you know, I'll talk about how there there are basically two views. There's a fundamentalist view, and then there is uh, what I would call more of a academic or a, a textual view. So, right. And uh, well, we can well, if you want well, to. Well, I'm, we'll I'm going to say let me let me tell the listeners something else shocking. There, okay. I was I I really did consider myself a uh, as a Christian. I felt that I, I was absolutely a fundamentalist. Uh, so yeah. much so that I became a street preacher. Now, people, long-term listeners know the story all about this sort of stuff. Uh, and then I refined my faith to the Tanakh, and I considered myself a fundamentalist. Um, and a Karaite, a scripturalist. A, a Karaite, right. I, 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 didn't, uh, I, I still do not regard the oral law as authoritative as I believed the Tanakh you know, to the same authority. I very much resonate with the Karaites, and I and I felt like I could park my car there. Now yeah. I'm going to say, uh, and this is you know not, nothing against the Karaites or anything like that, but I'm just going to say I feel much more now. Uh, I feel less like a fundamentalist. I feel more like an academic, and I feel very excited about it. And if anything, it has refined my faith further and strengthened my uh, my faith in the scroll of the Torah of Moses. And people are now going to be saying, what does that mean? What did you just say? I don't understand. What are the repercussions yeah. of what you just said, Ross? Well, I, I'll, I'll, I'll concur with that, Jono. First of all, I think you and I both are, it's fair to call a scripturalist or biblicist, someone who sure. loves the text of the Bible more than anything. I mean, this is my daily joy. I read and study scripture every single day of my life. And, and I grew up like that, and I haven't waned in the least. And so when I was first introduced to this idea uh, by someone who was not a diplomat like me, but it was a very cold academic work, because I reached a place having left fundamental Christianity and sort of adopted a fundamentalist uh, Hebraic faith, you know, centered on the Hebrew Bible— I carried a lot of what I had in my former faith into my new faith. And so I said, well, then I would hold up a Tanakh and I would say this Bible, this is mm-hmm. my Bible. It's everything. It's and, and so let's shift the focus to the Torah that Genesis 1, 1 through Deuteronomy 34, 12 is the Torah of Moses. Well, when you touch on subjects like the passages that you kicked us off with, Jono, you, you have to say, well, wait a minute now, let me go back to the text that I love so much. Where do we get the idea that Moses wrote that? And, and then the, another question, though related, is what does Scripture say that Moses did write? Mm. So, uh, so we have two views that are beginning to emerge in this conversation. One is the fundamentalist traditional view. And, and that would be espoused, I would say, both by Christians and Jews. You know, the Jewish people... Uh, in Pirkei Avot. You know, there's this saying, it, it kicks off Pirkei Avot, the ethics of the fathers. Moses received the Torah at Sinai, handed it to Joshua, Joshua the elders, the elders to the prophets, you know, the story, and then all the way down. Um, at the end of the Torah reading service, the Torah is hoisted. It's called the Chagba, and, and it's turned around, and the, the congregation sees it, and the, the Hebrew phrase, 
וזאת התורה אשר שם משה לפני בני ישראל על פי אדוני ביד משה. This is the Torah that Moses set before the Israelites from Adonai's mouth through the hand of Moses. Um, and then, then you bring in Maimonides. Maimonides makes the statement that the Torah is from heaven. The Torah that we have today is the Torah that God gave Moses at Sinai. Here, I want to make this point up front. This is not to question the inspiration of the five books, call them the Pentateuch, the Chumash. Absolutely not. What I want to do, though, is I have the question that you started with in Deuteronomy 31. When Moses rolls up that scroll, mm. it, it says he's finished it. We still have three chapters left, Jono. So my question is, What is it that Moses wrote? I, I want to be honest to Moses here. In fact, that might be a name for our show, Honest to Moses. Because what I began to think about was, can we discern, if we're literalist, if we're biblicist, Jono, if we are looking to Scripture and saying, let the Bible be true— What does Scripture say Moses wrote? And, and so what I began to formulate through my research, and, and you were more helpful than— you're, you're the only one, I think, uh, that has heard this whole thing. Obviously, Dr. Tabor's been a great, great help. Mm -hmm. uh, I bounce this off of him and, of course, the Tylers, but it's a very small group. But, but here's the point. Can we find within our Torah, the five books of Moses, as they're called, can we find the Torah, the one that Moses rolled up, and how in the world would we go about that? So I called it the hand of Moses, finding the hand of Moses, the Torah within our Torah. Is that fair? That's very fair. So, so whenever I set out, I did some simple things. Uh, I started making notes in a notebook where I would, if I had a question, like, how would Moses write about his own death and burial? Now, by the way, there is a place in the Talmud where it says that as a prophet, he wrote of his own death and burial through his tears. Mm -hmm. So that's one solution, you know, and, and I'm, I mean, people have every right to accept that. Yes. Yes, they do. But, and, and. So I don't want to take anything from anybody, mm. but, but what I did want to do was where I had questions, I began to list them out. And, and there are a lot of these things that were brought to my attention by reading academic works, uh, very similar to when one challenges what the New Testament says. Mm -hmm. you, know, you, you know, I remember years ago as a fundamentalist Christian where it would say, and this fulfills this prophecy— I would say, well, let me go look at that prophecy. Mm -hmm. And if I found a, you can call it a discrepancy or a variation or uh, a, a question even, I would write that down until ultimately I reached a certain conclusion, which led me to uh, a new definition of my faith or a refining of my faith. Yeah. So, so I was scared. I'll be honest, Jono. There's no other way to put it than I was Uh, it, I was scared mm. because what if I did the same thing with the Tanakh, you know, and I know a lot of the listeners might be saying, oh, I don't know if I should keep listening. I want to encourage people to hang with us on this because this is the most yep. uh, exhilarating study. It's part history and part mystery. It's it's the greatest yep. quest I've ever been on. Would you agree? I mean, you've listened. I, I would agree. And I, and I would say at this stage, so what you're saying is that um, it, it, it was, I mean, it, when you first apply scrutiny to the New Testament as a fundamentalist Christian, it's a scary thing because the New Testament itself says, hey, if you're going to start questioning this, you can just, you, you can pass go and go straight to hell. Yes, <laughs> that's, that's right. That's just it. And so you do so uh, with with trembling and you do so very, very carefully. Um, and And once you come to the conclusion that, well, okay, I, I really can't, I really have to refine my faith to the Tanakh, then you really are, are um, you know, eventually it comes to mind, what if I were to apply the same sort of scrutiny to the Tanakh, to the Old Testament, as I did to the New? Oh, my goodness, what would happen? Now, I have to say at this point, you and I, I think I, think I can say certainly myself, I absolutely, like one of my favorite verses in the Bible, and I've said this many times, 
uh, on truth to you would be uh, Exodus chapter 19, verse 9. I'm just going to go there now. And it still is. It's still one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it says, it says, And the Lord said to Moses, I will come to you in a thick cloud in order that the people may hear when I speak, hear when I speak to you, and so believe in you forever. Okay, And I I still hold to that. I still believe uh, very much so, in fact, more so now, that there was a an impartation of divine law at Mount Sinai from from our Creator to Moses and to the people audibly, yeah. and um, and this is what really excites me. So just in case people are like, "Oh my goodness, you heretics! What are you talking about? Where are you going? Where are you taking us?" Um, right. Just take a deep breath and know that this is the case. But would you agree with that? I absolutely would, Jono. And and okay. I tell you, just to kind of underscore that, I would I would like to say one more time that that this quest is about. It began as what's just like you said, what's in the little scroll that Moses rolls up mm-hmm. and gives to the Levites to keep Mitzad Aaron, Mitzad Aaron in the side of the ark or beside the ark. That that's what I wanted to know. Mm. Now, what that means to the listener is this is not to suggest in any way that chapter 32, 33, 34 of Deuteronomy or any of the other material uh, is not inspired, authoritative, any of that. But but I want to know, what did Moses write? Because technically, we have seven references in the five books, by the way, <clears throat> that tell us about Moses writing something. And and so I felt like, and this this is the way my study started, I felt like if I'm going to trust Scripture, what does Scripture say he wrote? Now, we know this passage here in 31 says that he wrote a Torah unto the very end, rolled it up, gave it. But, but what else does it say he wrote? So I kind of started there. And, and in the process, even though I was a bit nervous, I began to look at what the academic world said, okay? So mm-hmm. I knew what the fundamentalist world said because I'm a fundamentalist. So sure. I said— well, when I was in the Christianity phase of my journey, which I, I've told you and many people many times, I am more thankful for being brought up in, in traditional biblical faith. Uh, I'll never look down on that because it gave me a love for Scripture that is is still with me. But I'm, I'm applying the same tools. So when I began there, I would read academic works where scholars— uh, such as Dr. James Tabor or Bart Ehrman or any of these people, would question the fundamentalist view. So the academic world has a different view about the Torah uh, than the fundamentalist view. The academic world says, and this since the 19th century actually started many, many hundreds of years before that, but particularly in the 19th century, scholars began to question uh, more and more of this uh, this fundamentalist view to the point where ultimately they ruled out Moses actually writing anything. Rest easy. I'm not doing that. Mm. What I'm suggesting is that we not only have a beautiful book whereby we can live our lives according to God's ways, mm-hmm. but within that body of literature, Jono, I can beyond a doubt show people what scripture says Moses wrote. No doubt. And and this, so this is, uh, it's a bit of freedom. It provides liberty to the reader uh, in the sense that you're on the side of the text. And this, again, this is not to um, put down on traditional beliefs, but but I would rather go with what Scripture says. So yeah. just, just kind of kicking things off with that introduction, I'll say this. People will be very surprised at how tight the argument is to the point that if you were to produce, which this is part of what I'm working on in my book, what if you could produce a, a volume, let's say, of the five books, um, and and within that you could highlight, use a, a letter code or whatever, a color, to say these are the words of Moses. Would that be interesting or not? There you go. A red letter Bible, perhaps, Ross. <laughs> red yeah. letters being hey, the, the ones that Moses, idea. the ones that the that the, the, that the Torah says. These are the words of Moses. This is what Moses wrote. Um, yeah. Can I, uh, I? I don't know if 
if I'm interrupting your thought uh, here, no, but, uh, but but as uh, as an example, I just want to take them to uh, a series that you did on the ten words, highlighting, uh, and we have spoken briefly about this before, but highlighting the uh, the variations and discrepancies, the differences, if you like, between the two accounts of Exodus chapter twenty and Deuteronomy chapter five. Now, if yeah. I if I remember correctly, maybe you can maybe you can correct me. Uh, I think that one explanation for these two different accounts of the Ten Commandments is that God spoke them at Sinai at the same time. So when He spoke, yep. both accounts uh, were heard mm-hmm. by the people. Is that one explanation? That that is one explanation, and okay. I think a lot of people just just take a just a, a step back for a second, John, on that because. Some people may not really think about that, or they may not even know that. But but as you said, there are two accounts of the Ten Words. Now, understand, you just told our listeners, and I've heard this from you many times from Exodus 19, that this event, this is a watershed event. Hmm. This is the driving force behind everything which follows. These words that God wrote— Uh, Literally, it says that Hashem wrote these words on two tablets of stone Mm -hmm. with his finger. Now, people might argue how literally to take that. But but nonetheless, these words are the covenant. Uh, They're called uh, variously the edut, the testimony. These Mm -hmm. two tablets are placed in in what we know now as the Ark of the Covenant. And, And this is the foundation of all the faith. Now, we have two accounts Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. And if you read those side by side, now if you read Exodus chapter uh, 20, the 10 words, and then let's say you work your way through the annual reading cycle and you don't look at this again until you get to Deuteronomy chapter 5, months and months and months later, Mm. uh, you won't even notice that the two are different, perhaps. They're but similar if, enough for you to breeze over and not to yeah, question, yeah. that's right. But if you put them side by side, and that's one of the things that I, I spend 15 weeks in this series, mm. but if you look at these two side by side, you're going to notice that they are, uh, in places, substantially different. So the reader, the faithful person, ought to have some questions. If these are the words which are written on the ten, uh, these ten words are written on two tablets of stone and placed in the ark. Which version is it, Jono? Hmm. And and so what we're doing in a way is we're reading horizontally. We're taking accounts from, say, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, uh, and and say, let's say if a story is told in Exodus, it's also told in Deuteronomy, as this Hmm. case is, you look at them side by side and you say, well, if they don't read exactly right the same, what, what does that do to me or, or, or what's the solution to this? Right. So, again, we, we have two views. We have at least two views. Uh, we have this academic view. The academic view would say, well, neither one of them are really divinely imparted and, you know, it's just all made up. And it's the, what the scholars call the uh, documentary hypothesis, that the Torah was assembled over a long period of time yeah, by various... of contributions, yeah. and, and it never yes. really was yeah. a divine uh, impartation of law. It's just something that evolved over time from various authors, da-da-da-da-da. Yeah, that's not. By the way, that's not. That's not my view. What my view is, uh, again, as a lover of scriptures, to say, let's see what scripture says that Moses wrote. What did Moses write? Mm-hmm. And and that's where we really begin. So so here's the thing, Jono. If if there are seven references to Moses writing something, and I cover all of these in this course that I'm currently doing, it's called simply Torah. So we won't go through all of these, but I'll just tell people that that I let Scripture tell me what did Moses write, and and what the evidence began to do for me is it began to point me in a certain direction. Mm. And and I wanted to say this. Uh, Moses himself, the name Moses, by the way, is it appears 708 times in Scripture, in the Tanakh, 708 times. In the, the five books of Moses, it occurs 640 times, huh. right? Yeah. Now, one thing that 
that people have brought up over the ages when they read the five books is it seems kind of strange that much of what is contained between Genesis 1 and Deuteronomy 34 is written in the third person. The third person, yeah. Right? So think about how many of these texts. Now, we don't meet Moses until we get to the book of Exodus. So Let's take Genesis just for a moment and put it carefully and respectfully on a shelf. But when you get to the book of Exodus, we're introduced very soon to the man Moses. Mm -hmm. And much of that story, in fact, every reference, get this, every reference to Moses in Exodus is written in the third person. There's not a single exception, Jono. Uh, and and even when it's uh, uh, an impartation of a command or whatever from the Lord, uh, it will say in the third person, and the Lord spoke unto Moses, or the Lord spoke unto Moses and Aaron, saying, now, if Moses were the writer, now, this is what the academics begin to see, or they weren't even necessarily academics. These are men of God who love Scripture, who spend their day and night in it. They began to look at that and say, you know, it seems like if Moses wrote this, uh, again, they're looking at the question of authorship. People can write that in their notes, authorship. Um, you would expect it to say, and the Lord spoke unto me, if Moses is the author. Mm -hmm. But Exodus is all third person. Leviticus, every bit of it is in the third person. The mm -hmm. book of Numbers, every bit of it is in the third person. And and so people began to say, do we have anything in the first person? Hmm. Now, that's that's one of the questions that people ought to have. Can, can I show you something about geography? Oh, that, sure, go. Okay, look at look at Deuteronomy uh, chapter one. Um, if you if you open up and just at the very beginning, Deuteronomy chapter one, and it begins like this. These are the words that Moses spoke to all Israel on the other side of the Jordan in the wilderness over against Suf between Paran and Tophel and Levan and Hatzerod and Dizahab. Now, I didn't discover this, but when I saw it, uh, the question really made me think, like you mentioned what happened to you with Deuteronomy 31. Right. These are the words which Moses spoke the most logical solution to the question of authorship is that we don't know who wrote this, but it most likely, logically, was someone other than Moses. Now, let me underscore that by so showing this point. Whoever wrote this is saying that these words were spoken on the other side of the Jordan. Now, we know that they, these words, according to the narrative of the five books, take place, the speeches take place on the eastern side of mm -hmm. the Jordan River, in, yep. in what we call the land of Moab. And, and so the author, follow me on this, the author of this text must be on the west side of the mm -hmm. Jordan River. Uh, in other words, he's whoever is right, he or she, whoever is writing this is saying what's about to come to you in this book was written by Moses on the other side of the Jordan. Now, we know from reading the five books that Moses never crossed the Jordan, remember? Mm -hmm. he, he couldn't go in, and so this was not written by Moses, at least this. And then as you begin, if you get down to verse 5, uh, beyond the Jordan, in the land of Moab, Moses began to declare this Torah saying, and then the story begins. So let's, let's say that chapter 1 verse 1 of Deuteronomy through verse 5 is the voice, let's call it the voice of a narrator. Now, people, uh, they may come up with a different solution as to who is the narrator here. Don't know. Now, the question came up by some rabbis many, many years ago. Uh, people can look up Ibn Ezra, uh, a great sage, Ibn Ezra, uh, Bonfils is a student of his, and they begin to look at the text, and they begin to notice things like this. Now, Bonfils makes this interesting point, and I think our readers would like to take a deep breath anyway. 
Bonfield says, look, whether Moses wrote this or a prophet, another prophet, it makes no difference to me. I'm paraphrasing. But what Bonfield says is what I tell people. It doesn't matter who necessarily wrote these words because uh, in line with what Bonfield and Ibn Ezra said, look, it's made it into our holy book. But that still leaves the question. I want to know what mm. did Moses write? Yep. You know, so, yeah. Because, uh, and, and should it not be the priority of our faith to know exactly what was it that he wrote? Sure, surely it is the most important core of and foundation of the Torah, of the five books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, the, and, and as I pointed out at the beginning, my curiosity peaked uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 31, verse 24, where it says that Moses wrote these words down on a scroll. We have a scroll of the Torah of Moses. He rolled it up and gave it to the Levites. What was on that scroll? I really want to know. I do too. So, as you just pointed out, there are places in the Torah that clearly were not written by Moses. the The opening of Deuteronomy here is one such example. Are there any other like people will be thinking? You know what? I've never really thought about that before. Deuteronomy chapter one. I haven't. I've never really stopped to think about that. Are there any other blatantly obvious uh, examples such as that um, that are that are no brainers that are easy. Just give us another yeah. one. I mean, I know there's many, but just just for the listeners who've never never considered this before, where's another one? Okay, so for instance, that one let's put in a category called geography, um, because the author is clearly um, indicating that he's someone other than Moses because of geography. He's on the wrong side of the Jordan, right? So now I'll take the listeners to another example, something totally different. And this one comes in uh, the book of Genesis. And and this is not about geography, but it's called uh, anachronism. I'll show you. Mm -hmm. So go to Genesis chapter 12. Um, Let's see. In verse 6, Genesis 12, 6, And Avram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, unto the terebinth of Moreh. And the Canaanite was then in the land. The Canaanite was then in the land. Now, Jono, I've read over this, I can't tell you how many times, and it never really hit me. But, but think about this. When Moses completes, if According to the traditional view, and he writes Genesis 1 through Deuteronomy 34, if you go through that period up until the, at least until the children of Israel do the conquest of the land, as we read in the book of Joshua, the Canaanites are still in the land, right? Mm-hmm. So if you now I know this one may be a little tougher to follow, but here's what I want people to realize that in Genesis chapter 12, verse 6, it indicates that the Canaanites are still in the land, indicating that whoever wrote this is writing in a time when the Canaanites were not in the land. Mm -hmm. You see? So what that's called is, it's called an anachronism. And, And what this indicates is that the author of that is someone who is writing not as a contemporary writer, but as someone who's writing at a later period of time when the situation has changed from the narrative's time mm. frame. And, and so what we do, we see quite a few times in Scripture, quite often, if, I'm, if my memory serves me right, it's 97 times we see a certain phrase that says, unto this day, mm. um, which seems to indicate that it goes beyond the time of uh, of the scripture. That's right. And so as you, it is I, this day, or unto this day, is is uh, a phrase that you don't don't uncommonly see, and it's a bit of a tell. Yeah, that's right. So here's an example, uh, another example. Um, let's see. Uh, if you go back to Deuteronomy 34, now we've already got a question mark by this chapter because. First of all, it's written in the third person. Uh, It begins in verse 1, And Moses went up from the plains of Moab to the mountain of Nebo. Mm -hmm. So so we're already at least thinking that maybe someone else wrote this. And then as you work your way through chapter 34, it says Moses died. He was buried. Now, for a long time, people have questioned, hey, who wrote this? And some have suggested that Joshua wrote it, you know, and and you go, okay, well, maybe so. 
Well, look down at verse uh, 8 of chapter 34. And the children of Israel wept for Moses in the plains of Moab 30 days. The days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom. Now, this is also third person. If Joshua wrote this, he would have written in the third person. You see that? Right. Uh, so why doesn't it say, then, if Joshua wrote it, and then I, da 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 The son of Nun, yeah. Mm. Joshua uh, but it did such and such, yeah. Now, look down at verse 10. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. Mm-hmm. Now, this, again, same kind of questions. If this were written at the time of the children of Israel being assembled in the plains of Moab before the going into the land, mm. um, you, you have to think, well, no one's, there's not been a prophet arisen like Moses since. And you go, well, since when? Like just now, he just died. Mm. I'm not making light of it, but my point is, this seems to indicate that this would be more of an impact if it were written much later. Because if you're Mm. writing, let's say, and I'm just throwing out a number, let's say you wrote it uh, 150 years later, then you go, wow, you mean it's been 150 years and there's still not a prophet like Moses since, you know, that knew God face Mm. to face? But if it's written at the time, the contemporary time that this is uh, written according to traditionalism, yeah, it, it doesn't have the impact. Hmm. Uh, but there are a lot of these cases uh, throughout Scripture. So if we kind of take what we've discussed so far and we said, well, what what are we looking for again? We're looking for what did Moses write. Now, there, and I'll just kind of give a broad heading, which I fully flesh out in these courses that are on our website. Um, we have seven references to Moses writing something. Jono, every one of these references point to a specific uh, scroll, content right. of a specific scroll. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is called, the, the work that Moses wrote is referred to as uh, the Torah, this Torah. In Hebrew, it's HaTorah, Hazot, or Hazay. That phrase is used 19 times in Scripture. And Jono, every one of these point in a certain direction. Every single one of them. It's also referred to as Sefer HaTorah Hazot, the scroll of this Torah. Um, that phrase is used seven times. Again, all of them point us in a certain direction. I'm not finished. There is there is mention of the Safer Moses. So I did a search on all these. Safer Moses, the scroll of Moses, occurs three times. All three point us to a certain document. Mm-hmm. And and this goes on and on and on. I think that we are much closer to understanding exactly what it was that Moses wrote. And we have this course that we're going through called the Torah gives people the tools whereby they can apply it when they look at the text and they can go, well, don't know who wrote that. It could have been a prophet, another prophet, whoever, but it doesn't appear that Moses wrote that. They can do that themselves when they look at this. Right. It's fun stuff. It it really is fun stuff. I haven't been this excited, uh, you know, for really. I mean, I I really emphasize myself with this, and I have to say, I greatly appreciate the amount of research that you have done, um, vastly more than myself, and um, uh, giving it to me in such a clear and concise way. Now the 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 series that you have done, and I would suggest to the listeners go back uh, to the previous series that Ross has done on the Ten Commandments and the comparisons between the two books. Uh, I think that's necessary, and because as you mentioned, it is the uh, the watershed moment of of our faith. Absolutely. It is the it is the core, the absolute core of of our faith, uh, the core of the Torah. That is the uh, the revelation, the the corporate revelation at Sinai, uh, imparted to Moses uh, divinely. Th- this is where it all begins. This is the most important thing. What was said, and then what is in the the scroll of the Torah of Moses. So. Uh, yeah. You have the the ten words, the series on the ten words, and you have the one that you've uh, that you're working on now, which is entitled uh, Torah. Is that right? That's right. 
Yeah, we've given them a pretty big assignment. But if you think about it, the the course on the 10 words is 15 classes. And uh, there you go, me being a diplomat. I want to bring it out very, um, very detail oriented in that sense. I think it's a, a very close analysis of the text, allowing again, allowing scripture to uh, interpret itself yep. from the words in connection with the words and on the basis of the words. I learned that phrase from Dr. James Tabor, who learned it from his teacher. And it, in other words, we're allowing the scripture to speak for itself. For now, itself. if if they work through uh, those 15 classes, you know, people mm-hmm. binge watch stuff on Netflix all the time. I think that biblical study is worth at least that kind of devotion. So uh, anybody could pick it up, and and uh, it's only fifteen hours or so. You know, you could do that in a weekend. I, I really do think that this is a good foundation for what you're about to release. Uh, that being your book. Now, how far away are we from the release of your book? Because honestly, I haven't been this excited about a book for a, for a long time. I mean, I'm loving uh, Dr. James Table's uh, Transparent English Bible, the Book of Genesis. It's exceptional, and uh, and I wish I had that many years ago. But you and I have been very, very excited about the work that you're doing at the moment. What can we say about it? When can we expect it to be released? You know, it's it's very difficult to uh, to give a date. Here, my goal at this time is that at the end of 2020, uh, to have this thing wrapped up. Now. it's easy to say that. And and I hope that people are gracious to me because let's be honest, I've never written a book. uh, And so I'm writing it presently. I have 10 chapters, which have been totally through the editor. uh, And, and I have at least that many more to go, but just so that people don't think, well, man, that might be a lot longer. uh, I've already begun the work on those as well. So what I'm finding, and I told you this, Jono, uh, I do not like to write. I prefer <laughs> just to speak. You know, that's mm-hmm. that's what I feel like I'm better at. Uh, so writing for me is a chore. I love it because I'm fascinated with the story, uh, but but I have to tell you, it's tougher for me. So I, having never published a book, I can't give a you know, a real confident answer to that, but my goal is to have it done by the end of December. Right. Now, one other thing uh, that I hope, the goal of this book is to present in a readable format, something accessible that anyone who loves scripture uh, will be able to look at and say, oh, I'm following this because it, here he says, it's read this for yourself. Um but during the process, I have to tell you this, uh, and this is some of this I'm I'm bringing out in my teaching now in the current series. As I began to look through the five books for evidence of what Moses wrote, there is a story in the Tanakh about a previous discovery of what Moses actually wrote. And it was in the days of Josiah. And I'll yeah. just give people this just so that they understand in in Josiah, King Josiah takes the throne when he's eight years old, and in 622 BCE, he dispatches to the temple, uh, which is basically in ruins because it's had uh, decades of neglect through previous bad kings, uh, his father and, and his father. Ammon and Manasseh are both mm. very wicked kings mm. for decades. So the temple, when he takes over as a young boy— He's got a heart for God, and he dispatches people to uh, clean up the temple yeah. uh, and to restore it. And in the process, a high priest by the name of Hilkiah discovers something quite remarkable. This is Second Kings 22, Second Chronicles 34. Both tell the story, by the way, with variations. But what they say is, we have found the scroll that Moses wrote. Mm. Now, you can imagine, and you know this because you and I have been in close consultation over this, imagine, you you would think that, in other words, well, I thought they had the scroll of Moses, but he reads the scroll and even his actions, Jono, the way that he uh, responds to what he hears. Everything that we read in these two stories point us to the same material. And so what we're doing is we're triangulating and and we've got several witnesses from the Hebrew Bible itself 
which give us clues as to what is contained in the scroll that Moses wrote yep. and entrust to the Levites. Mm-hmm. Now, my book contains this information, every bit that we're talking about, much, much more um, uh, detail. But in addition, there's a, another great discovery, which I can't say what that was, but even something greater that has been uh, ignored uh, or for the most part not even known about. All of these evidences uh, come together to make the tightest case possible as to what actually was written by the hand of Moses. So the book will be called, at least tentatively it's called, Finding the Hand of Moses, the Torah within our Torah. The Torah within our Torah. Finding the Hand of Moses, the Torah within our Torah. Uh, You've got at least three months, dear listeners, to catch up. Uh, listen to these uh, series that Ross has presented over the last few months because it's really going to help you be prepared for, for what I believe is an exceptionally important book, a book that I'm very, very excited about, a book that Ross and I have been discussing in detail over the last um, more than a year, I guess now, Ross. And, yeah. uh, and and honestly, I can't wait. I can't wait until it's out. So we thought we'd take the opportunity just to talk that up a bit and to um, bring people along with us because it really is very, very exciting. Well, well, let me let me say one other thing, Jono. It's I know a lot of people will hear us talk about this, and even if they're interested, they might say, you know what, just get to the point. I I have some of my listeners that are more your personality, where they might say. Uh, you know, you're very logical, you're very, but, but some people might think, I just want the end game. I, I don't mm-hmm. want to go through 15 classes. Uh, the current series, uh, I've completed eight classes. Part of that is because I want the overwhelming evidence to come forth from scripture to make the point, um, rather than just say, up oh, here it is. You know, I, I think that it deserves this close of a look, because first of all, each of these classes builds one upon the other. So I would highly recommend that even if someone thinks, you know what, I'm going to skip and just listen to eight. If you just listen to eight, you're not going to get it. Uh, you have to listen to the whole series. And and I would say, I'm not boasting on myself, I would just say that the material is is laid out in such a way that it behooves one who's interested in what we've said on this show to go back and listen to one, two, three, four, all the way through. Hmm. Um, and and that's that's for the reason of let the evidence come forth from the scripture and look. Oh, that's it. You, we all have done this with Netflix, so give it a chance. Listen to the Torah. Uh, if you feel really up to it, you, you can, as Jono said, listen to the other series on the 10 words. Mm-hmm. Uh, but each of these classes is a little more than an hour. Uh, hopefully it's uh, it's engaging. It is and, engaging. And I think the it's, riveting, it's, it's laid yeah, out. And, and it's laid out really, really well. Very, very clear. You make your case. Like I said to you, you know, uh, you would have made a great lawyer. Um, so, uh, dear listeners, get into it. Links are in the description uh, for everything that we have mentioned. Uh, we want you to come along with us because it really is exciting. Now, before we go, Ross, you mentioned yep. uh, Josiah, and uh, I, I just thought I'd mention, not that we give too much away about the uh, Tanakh tour itinerary, but we are intending oh, yeah. to go to Megiddo. We've, we went there once in 2015. We haven't been back, and there's been a lot that's gone on at Tel Megiddo uh, in the last five years. So uh, just very quickly, why is Megiddo uh, of, uh, interesting in as far as Josiah is concerned? Megiddo is one of my favorite places because the story of Josiah has become part of my life. You know, when, you write, when you're writing a book, doing research like I'm doing, you, I've literally fallen in love with the characters. And uh, Josiah is raised up. He's young. He's... Uh, got a heart for God. In fact, we read in Second Kings uh, that that unlike any before him, and and any after him, with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his everything, and and Josiah ends up he dies on the fields of Megiddo um, in in a very very interesting twist in the story. 
this righteous king, the most righteous descendant of David. By the way, his birth is predicted hundreds of years before he's born by name. And and Josiah, is his life is cut short. He's 39 years old. He gets an arrow uh, from an enemy, and he dies at Megiddo. So I can't wait. And I would really encourage our listeners to join with me, with you, with uh, Rabbi Tovia Singer on the Tanakh mm. Tour, because... This is non-stop. The things that we're talking about now, you bring your Bible, we bring you to the places where these things happen, and, and it's you'll see other tourist groups going through, and they have their nice little touristy hat, and, uh, and they <laughs> might pick something, pick up an ice cream cone. But you look at our group, and people are Bibles out, and they're all standing around, and we're engaging in these deep uh, conversations about yep. the things that we love. So... Please come with us. You, you'll never regret it. It'll be the greatest tour that you've ever been on. It really is. Taking you to where it happened, standing in your Bible, showing you this is the place where this happened. Um, we could go on. I mean, Jeremiah is a contemporary of Josiah, and there's just so much to be said about that. Um, but we don't have time now, but we would love for you to, to join us on the Tanakh tour. There, you can. There's links on Truth To You where you are now. You can click on that. It'll take you there. Otherwise, TanakhTours.com will give you everything that you need to know. Uh, it's already more than half full, Ross, by the way. It's more, it's, it's more than half full, and we really do believe. And it's going to be November 2021. We've given you plenty of time to get in, but it'll fill up uh, way before we get there. All right, dear listeners, thank you so much for listening to Truth To You. Ross, thank you so much for coming on and telling us about uh, a little about your book, a little bit about um, the current series that you are doing, uh, the shift that has taken place that we're so very excited about in, in our journey. We really hope that listeners will come along with us. Hey, it's all about being honest to Moses. You know, let's, let's, allow, let's allow Moses to tell us what was it that he wrote in that little scroll that he gave to the Levites. And then let's follow it through the history of ancient Israel in this book that you and I love so much. And let's at every turn watch the evidence pile up until it becomes without a question obvious what was in that scroll. Be honest to Moses. So well said. That is the show for this week, dear listeners. We'll be back this time next week for another episode of Gleanings from Genesis with Dr. James Tabor. Uh, in the meantime, order his book, the uh, book of Genesis from the TEB, the Transparent English Bible. It really is so good. My goodness, I wish I had yes. it many, many years ago. Uh, but, you know, between now and then, hugs, mags, coat. Have a great one. Have a beautiful week. Thank you.